Good morning again, Thrifty Night Street family, and Happy New Year to you all who I did not wish a Happy New Year yet. Um, so great to see you, and so great to start this new year um, with you all. Now, as we are starting this new year, some of you guys might know I've, I've been trying to hype this up for a couple of weeks now, uh, but we're trying to restart and also actually start a new discipleship group, um, and I think it would be such a wonderful way for us to start 2024 on the right path um, to start it um, in discipleship. And so basically for this Sunday and for next Sunday, um, I actually want to preach a little bit about discipleship and some of the more tangible benefits that we can receive um, through discipleship. And so today we're going to be talking specifically about fortitude, fortitude through discipleship. Now, for those of you who, who know me, uh, you might know that I, you know, I didn't have the easiest of lives, and it was always filled with a lot more twists and turns um, than I would have liked. And so for many years, I actually suffered through depression, and this is something that I'm not ashamed of, uh, because it was through this depression that I ultimately found true freedom and true joy in God. But before I found Christ, um, I tried every other method under the sun to help me build this fortitude to endure the hardships of life. And so one method that I learned uh, during my study of philosophy uh, was the philosophy of Stoicism. Have you guys ever heard of Stoicism before or read any, read any works by Stoics? Now I think Stoicism, it, it kind of gets a pretty bad rap because if we describe someone as Stoic nowadays, we use it in the sense that, you know, that person's kind of like ice cold, you know, they don't have any emotions, they don't have any feelings, right? They're basically like a stone. But that's actually not what Stoicism is really about. Uh, the basic idea of Stoicism is that a good life is a virtuous life. When a Stoic builds certain virtues in their lives, even when misfortune comes their way, they are basically as unshakable as a mountain because these virtues allow them to build roots that anchor them down into reality. And so what are some of these virtues? Well, you begin to develop in Stoicism the virtue of wisdom, discerning between what is in your control and what is not in your control. You begin to develop the virtue of courage, the ability to face hardships face on with courage. You develop the virtue of justice, of doing what is right and good so that you aren't burdened with internal conflict or internal guilt. And the final virtue is to develop temperance, to have self-control, to not excessively indulge in things or be swayed by extreme desires. Now, I think, actually, these are all great virtues, and I think these are all things that people in general should develop. In fact, these virtues are the same virtues that Scripture encourages us, us to develop. If you read through Proverbs, if you read through the Scriptures entirely, these are all virtues that we ought to develop even as Christians. But the thing is, to develop the fortitude, to be freed from all suffering from a Stoic perspective, is to literally become a perfect human being which is, unfortunately, impossible. None of us can have perfect courage, perfect wisdom, perfect temperance. None of us can have perfect justice. And so it's funny, because what I, what I always found surprising, especially when I, when I found out about Christianity and started to read more about it, um, especially when I started reading church history, something funny always happened. Somehow, some way, the people who exhibited the fortitude that I wanted in my life the fortitude to endure persecution, the fortitude to endure imprisonment, 
torture, execution. These were people who were not morally perfect. These were people who were not perfectly virtuous. Rather, it was people who were broken, people who were imperfect, that somehow displayed this tremendous fortitude. And so I wondered, what was the secret ingredient that these imperfect Christians had, that the Stoics who, who figured it out, what did these imperfect Christians have that no one else had? What was the secret to have fortitude to go through trials of any kind? And I found out that the ultimate secret to fortitude is through a relationship with Christ. But the secret to developing a strong relationship with Christ is through discipleship. And so as we start this new year, you know, we don't know what sort of twists and turns might come our way, but what we can do to start it on the right foot is to root ourselves in discipleship so that we can develop the fortitude to move forward no matter what comes our way. And so let's take a look at how the Bible actually teaches us this sort of fortitude uh, through a passage today in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and reads, You then, my son, you know, this is Paul speaking, You then, my son, being Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete, just like what we read earlier, does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And so reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Very powerful passage. And I think, you know, turning our eyes back to, to our discipleship course, in our discipleship course, one of the very first things we learn in that course are these five assurances or these five promises from Scripture. We actually have to memorize these verses, actually. We learn about the assurance of salvation, that we are saved not through our works, but we are saved by remaining in Christ. We are taught the assurance of answered prayer, that God will answer our prayers if we pray in his name according to the will of Christ. We learn the assurance of victory, that God will not allow us to be tempted or tested beyond what we can bear. There's also the assurance of forgiveness, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just in forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from all unrighteousness. And we end with the assurance of guidance, that if we actually trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, he will lead our paths straight. And the reason why we start off the discipleship course with these five assurances is because we believe that genuine fortitude starts not with what we can do, but genuine fortitude starts with what God freely promises us in Scripture. 
It teaches us that we grow strong through God's grace and through God's promises. And we actually see this in the, in the very first verse that we read today, right? As Paul mentors and disciples his spiritual son, Timothy, Paul encourages Timothy to grow strong. Now, if you have your verse, just, just cover it up for a moment, you know, because if you, if, you covered up the, the, if you covered up the second half of the verse, you know, like where Paul says, like, Paul, you know, like, my spiritual son, please grow strong, and you covered up the second half, what methods do you think Paul would recommend to his spiritual son, Timothy? How would Paul recommend Timothy to grow strong? Maybe we, we would expect Paul to tell his disciple to never stop praying, you know, never stop studying God's word. We might see Paul encouraging Timothy to continue to love others as Christ has loved him. We might expect Paul to tell his disciple to grow in wisdom, grow in courage, justice, and self-control. But Paul does not suggest this. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy to do, to grow strong, has nothing to do with Timothy's own efforts, but to grow strong through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is truly the first step in developing fortitude because we begin to rely not on our own power, which again is imperfect and inconsistent, but we begin to rely on God's power, which is both perfect and consistent. So it makes us realize that our spiritual growth and our, and our ability to develop fortitude in life depends entirely on intertwining our lives with God's life and trusting in who he is, and trusting in what he has promised us. And so that is actually why later in the passage we see Paul telling Timothy to do this. He says this, remember, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. To remember Jesus and what he has done for us through his grace and through his mercy. To remember his victory over sin. To remember the defeat of death itself, to remember that Jesus came to fulfill all of the promises in the Old Testament. And so as we remember Christ, as we remember Christ's work and Christ's fulfillment of promises in Scripture, it begins to set the strong foundation in our lives because we're no longer rooting our lives in ourselves, but we're rooting our lives in the God who has overcome all things and the God who fulfills all promises. We are rooting ourselves in God's perfect fortitude and in God's power instead of our own. And so, unlike Stoicism, unlike any other philosophy or religion that attempts to set the foundation through our own willpower, through our own efforts, we have learned instead to set our foundation on God, to set our foundation on God's promises and on his assurances. And the thing is, without this proper foundation, everything else actually falls apart. But now that we have set this firm foundation based on God's perfect nature and his promises, we can actually begin to take the second step. We can begin to find fortitude through training. In our passage, we see that Paul, he uses uh, three different examples of people who have fortitude to endure hardship. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to model himself after a good soldier, uh, a championship athlete, and a hard-working farmer. Uh, but unfortunately, for the sake of time, I, I, only have, <laughs> I can only focus on the first two, that of a good soldier and of a championship athlete. If you want to talk about 
you know, uh, a hardworking farmer, uh, please talk to me after service. But let's just focus on these two for the time being. So starting first with the good soldier, Paul tells Timothy, he says this, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. And so through the metaphor of a good soldier, one of the first virtues that we begin to work on as a Christian is single-minded focus. I want you to imagine for me, you know, imagine you're a commanding officer. Imagine, you know, we're, we're fighting a war with who knows who, but imagine you, you're sending troops off to foreign nations, right? And you send one soldier, he has a critical mission to fulfill. You send him into enemy lines during a critical period of war, and the soldier's primary responsibility is to remain focused, to remain focused on his mission that his commander, being you, gave him. However, as soon as the soldier sets foot on enemy soil, he loses focus. Rather than doing the mission, he starts wandering around, looking at all the tourists' attractions, visiting all the famous restaurants. Very quickly, he forgets why he was on the mission to begin with, and he forgets about the mission itself entirely. Now, would you call this person a good soldier? Probably not, right? Now, if we apply this metaphor to the Christian life, the soldier is a disciple whose mission is to live out and spread the gospel, to grow in their own faith, and to make disciples of all nations. This is the mission that is given to us by Christ. However, if we don't have the single-minded focus of a soldier, we begin to burden ourselves with things that don't actually matter to the mission. And this is actually the issue of idolatry, which can show up as an excessive preoccupation with our job or our schoolwork. It could show up as material accumulation, social status, or even sometimes an over-involvement in recreational activities like Netflix or YouTube. But through a single-minded focus on God's mission, not even our own mission, on God's mission, we can begin to differentiate between what is actually important and what isn't we begin to differentiate between burdens suffered for the Lord and burdens that are self-inflicted through idolatry. And so from there, from this metaphor of the soldier, Paul then, he, he moves on to the second metaphor of a championship athlete, which we also saw in our scripture reading earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In that passage, we see Paul, he, he makes this parallel that just as everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training, we ought to therefore run in a way as to get the prize. And what Paul is saying here is that just as an athlete goes through strict daily training to win, we as Christians, we also have to go through daily training as well if we were to grow in our spirituality and to develop the fortitude to overcome problems. And the thing is, if you, if you do any study, if you look at any champion athlete, there's actually nothing glamorous, there's no secrets there's nothing glamorous to their daily lives or to their daily training. Mike Tyson, he would wake up at 4 a.m. to run three to four miles before he goes to the gym to do more training. Nothing glamorous about that. For Kobe Bryant, if practice started at 11 a.m., he would start doing basketball drills by himself at 9 a.m., two hours before. World-class musicians, they would practice mind-numbing scales over and over and over again, or they would practice 
difficult parts of a song 20, 30, 40, 50 times in a row before they started the rest of their routine. There's nothing glamorous about this sort of daily repetition, but it is only through this daily training that makes these individuals champions. So likewise, when we root ourselves in our daily discipline of reading the word, studying the word, applying the word, and having meaningful prayer time with God, these are disciplines that are required to make you into a championship Christian, into a championship athlete. If this has something that you've been wanting to develop, or you're unsure of how to implement these spiritual disciplines effectively, then I encourage you to join our discipleship group where we teach you how to pray, where we teach you how to read the Bible in a way that is actually transformative for you. The thing is, there's nothing glamorous about reading your Bible every day. There's nothing glamorous about praying. But what I can promise you is that it is life-changing. And it develops our spiritual muscles so that we can handle whatever life throws in our way. And how do I know this? Well, because not only is this something that happened in my life, but it's also something that happened in Paul's life that he's now teaching to Timothy. And the final stage we reach into being able to endure hardship with resilience is finding freedom in Christ through the word. In verse 9, Paul, he makes a very powerful statement. He says this, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained, right? Imagine Paul's situation as he's writing this letter. Literally, in human history, this is what happened. He's chained in a Roman prison writing this letter as a criminal. He's probably not given enough to eat. Who knows what sort of physical abuse he's experiencing. He's suffering as a criminal, even though he's done absolutely nothing wrong. Yet in this confinement of being chained, Paul speaks of freedom. Paul speaks of an unchained gospel, a gospel that sets people free. You see, this is the true nature of Christian fortitude because it is a fortitude that thrives even in the face of earthly limitations. It's a fortitude that says that even if I'm chained down by the world, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I am now set free through the word of God. I'm now unchained through the word of God. And when Paul speaks about this unchained worth of God, Paul, Paul he first uses it in the sense that, hey, there's nothing that can stop God's word from going forth and changing lives. There's nothing that can stop God's mission from moving forward and bringing salvation to lost souls. There's nothing that can stop God and God's word. But the deeper truth is that as we root ourselves and hold on to this unstoppable word of God, we ourselves begin to become unstoppable. We become unchained. We become free. See, in my hands here, is the word of God, the word that God spoke to create the heavens and the earth. This is the same word of God that has brought salvation across the world, the same word of God that has fought death and won. And we as Christians, we have that powerful, unchained word of God literally in our hands. In session six, succession of our discipleship course, we're taught something called 
the hand illustration where um, it's, it's kind of cute. You know, each finger represents a key way for us to fill our lives with this unstoppable word. And so starting first with the, with the weakest finger, our pinky finger is hearing the word of God. But the thing is, you know, if we're talking about long-term memory here, not short-term memory, long-term memory, hearing the word of God is absolutely important. I love to hear the word of God. But realistically, unfortunately, we only remember 5%. Long-term, we only remember 5% of what we hear. So granted, today, after you hear the sermon, you know, one week from now, you probably remember about 5% of it, uh, which is discouraging for me, but nonetheless. <laughs> now, the thing is, I cannot balance the word of God on my pinky finger. It is impossible for you to have a deep Christian faith simply through hearing. Impossible. And so we add the next finger, the ring finger. And through the ring finger, we begin to read the word of God. However, unfortunately, reading by itself is also not enough because we only long-term remember about 15% of what we read. One five, 15%. And so what do we do? We strengthen our grasp. We add another finger, the third finger. We begin to study the Word of God. And studying the Word of God, this is the process where we begin to uncover and figure out the meaning of what God is saying here. Rather than just reading for reading's sake, we begin to actually try to decipher what is going on in here. And so now we begin to semi-be able to balance the Word of God in our hands. But even through studying, we only long-term remember about 35% of what we study. And so we add the fourth finger, the pointer finger, which is memorization. And it's only through memorization, because you have memorized it, that you remember 100% of what we read. But memorization is also not enough. I can balance the word of God in my hand, but if I were to ask, Artie, Artie, please, take this word of God from me. Terribly easy. And so what do we do? We add the thumb, which is, as you can see, meditating on the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God is not just about, you know, it's not just about, you know, sitting there and, like, reciting Scripture to yourself. It's about allowing God's Word to saturate every cell, every single part of your body, literally, from head to toe, saturating it so that you're thinking about God's Word, attempting to apply God's Word, taking God's Word and filling it into your heart. And when you saturate your body, through hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, all five fingers, already take this book for me. You cannot. Not even Satan can take the word of God from you when you apply all five aspects of holding on to the word, of grasping the word of God in your hands. And the thing is, when we do this, the reality is that even tragedies, as crazy as it sounds, even tragedies, cannot shake us when we're holding firmly to the word of God that has the power to set us free. It is unchanged. Now, for those of you who, who have yet to apply all five principles, uh, this, might, you know, this might feel very abstract. This might feel very theoretical. You know, like, Brandon, what are you talking about here? But I invite you to take a leap of faith. If you want to find and experience this spectacular freedom that comes from the unchained word of God, I encourage you to join our discipleship program and to taste for the first time these fruits of the Spirit that you have heard so much about. 
to taste consistently, not just you know, on a one-off basis, to consistently taste love, to consistently taste every single day joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness and self-control. And so, brothers and sisters, as we're about to enter into, into a time of prayer, as we're coming to the, to the end of our sermon here, I, I really encourage you, you know, to pray that you will allow God to continue his good work in you. He started something in your hearts, but allow him to grow you in strength, to persevere and to have the fortitude that will allow you to endure trials of any kind. But I also pray that these are things that, if these are things that you have yet to experience, but desire to experience, that you'll take a bold step today to commit yourselves to prioritizing just some time of your week towards being disciples. You know, believe it or not, the, the Christian journey, I don't, you know, I don't know why preachers say this sometimes, you know, the Christian journey is actually not just between you and God. You know, we are in one family together as one body. And so as one body, we ought to encourage each other. We ought to disciple one another. We ought to lift each other up into Christ's likeness. And so let us do that for each other this week, this month, and this year in 2024. Let us prioritize discipleship in this year. And so brothers and sisters, will you please uh, join with me for a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to root ourselves in your word, to root ourselves in your power and your promises. We thank you that these are all free gifts that you have given us. We thank you that growing in Christ's likeness is, is not some sort of mystery that we have to uncover, but you have laid out the very path for us to follow. And so we pray, Father, that as we enter into 2024, that we will do it with a new vigor and a new energy to make you, Lord, the priority. Father, we, we confess there are many urgent things in our lives that are calling our attention, but let us fix our eyes upon you and upon your mission with a single-minded focus to trust that you are in control, to trust that, that you really do have our best interest in mind. But most of all, Lord, we, we, we pray that you will allow us to continue to grow stronger in the faith. You know, Lord, you alone knows what sort of twists and turns will come our way. But Father, we acknowledge that as long as we cling onto you and to cling onto your word, we know that ultimately we will be secure. And so, Father, we rest our lives in your hand. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.